0: Well, in case you haven't noticed, we've kicked off a new series this morning, a subtle hint behind me, legacy, legacy is often understood as something that's handed down, like an inheritance property or money, something that you give away at the end of your life. But we're going to be looking over the next few weeks at legacy that is handed over As you go. Not something that you're just piling up to give away once you're gone. But what you give away as you go. It's never too early and it's never too late to think about your legacy. Somebody asked Rockefeller's accountant after uh, Rockefeller died, great philanthropist, Someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave behind? And the famous quip back is this, how much did he leave behind? He left it all. He left all of it. Americans are caught up in success. We're driven and we're achievement oriented and we like the measurables. We like to know what we've done, and we like to be able to count in concrete ways how we've accomplished and what we've accomplished. And far too late in life, we ask the question, what does it mean? What's it for? Not just the success, but the significance. It's never too early to start asking that question. And it's never too late. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be asking four questions. The who question, the where question, the how question, and the what question of your legacy. What are you you handing over as you go? Today, the who question. How do we get more of us? How do you get more of you into everything that you do? From the Word of God, Matthew chapter 9. If you brought your Bible, would you follow along with me and keep it open? We'll have it on the screens for you. I typically read from the the ESV. Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew... "...sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at table in the house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. But when he heard this, that is Jesus, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, would you bless this word, not only to our minds to change our thoughts, but to our hearts to lead changed lives. we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beth and I have been watching a Netflix series called The Crown. And uh, yeah, we watch TV. It's okay. (laughs) Golly. You do too. So we've been watching this Netflix series called The Crown. And in one of the later parts of, uh, one of the later episodes, uh, it, has, uh, it has Winston Churchill in his retirement. Winston Churchill, great renowned prime minister who, who served as leader of Great Britain during World War II, and then uh, went out of office and then came back into office when Eisenhower was president. Uh, Winston Churchill is depicted uh, in, in this episode as facing his retirement. And both houses, the House of Parliament and the House of Lords, have gotten together to give him a present. And the present is a great portrait of Churchill, massive portrait. Now, this series is, is based on fact, on, on history, on real-life events, and of course, they're riffing on it a little bit. They're taking some liberties, and they're filling in some gaps here and there. But most of what I'm going to tell you is true. You can pick out the parts that are not. (laughs) The man who was commissioned to do Churchill's portrait is named Graham Sutherland and Sutherland was was a fan of Churchill and he spent a lot of time talking with him and drawing sketches and in this episode you can see there's there's a bit of tension between the two until Sutherland reveals to him that he had been looking at Churchill's own drawings his own paintings Churchill in his later years was a painter and one of the one of the compositions that he did over and over one of the one of the subject pieces was of of a fish pond that he put in shortly after his youngest daughter died when she was two years old. Graham Sutherland studied these pictures, and he explores with Churchill... Some of the history, his own personal history, he's trying to get to the man, to the heart of the man. The result, the resulting portraiture that, that, that was revealed and is, you can see it, uh, if you Google it, you can see it. You can see a picture of Churchill with this grand portrait behind him. The final product was despised by both Churchill and his wife. And it was burned. It was hidden in his, his home, in the basement, and under cloak of darkness, his wife asked her secretary to take it and dispose of it, and it was burned. Uh, towards the end of her life, uh, Lady Churchill's secretary admitted that she was the one who burned it. You see, we all have an image of ourselves that we want the world to see. We all have this picture of ourselves in our mind, and that if Donald Sutherland, if um, Graham Sutherland came to paint your picture, Donald Sutherland came, you'd freak out because that guy, <laughs> that guy is scary. You've seen him in the movie. If Graham Sutherland came to paint your picture, you would want it to to look a certain way. You'd have a, a a certain image in your mind. Churchill had the statesman image. He had all of the power of the state wrapped up in the image that he wanted the world to see. See, this was going to 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 to, to sit in Westminster Abbey for you know for perpetuity and. And he wanted it to be according to his ideal, the projection that he had of the image of himself. And what, uh, what Graham Sutherland was getting at was the man. How he had suffered. How he had connected with the, the humanness the humanity of, of Great Britain during a time when millions and millions of Jews were put to death. In the worst moments of humanity, who was this man? How, what was the deep pool of his soul that was driving him? That was the great strength during the difficult times And so we have a choice. We have a choice either to project what we want others to see or to connect. There really isn't an in-between. In each instance of our life when, when people are reaching out to us or when we're walking alongside someone who's hurting or when we're casting vision or when we're trying to work on a team, whatever it is, our our image of ourselves is either going to be projected or the humanness in us is going to connect. And so let's take a look today at how Matthew, how does Matthew get more of himself into everything that he does? How do you get more of you into all that you do? Two ways. First, and each involves a death, a little death. See, you have to die a little to live more. You have to die a little to live more. And Matthew dies in these two ways. First, he dies to his past. He dies to his past so he can live more into his present. He dies to his past. Dies to it. You have to put it that strongly. See, see, if, if your past is still driving you, then it's not your past. If your past is still driving you, then it's not your past. Let us sink in. If your past is still driving you, then it's not your past. Matthew dies to his past. Matthew is driven. You can see him before. Uh, he is named Matthew. In the other Gospels, you know that uh, that that he's called Levi. He actually dies to his past. He dies to Levi. He comes alive as Matthew. As Levi, he's he's a tax collector. He's a Jew. He identifies with the Jewish people there, but he's driven by the culture. He connects. With the oppressors of the Jews. The Romans are occupying Palestine. And, and here is someone who is so despised. because Not because he's a, a tax collector. Not just because he's doing the work that, uh, that he's commissioned to do. But because tax collectors in that day were understood to be betrayers of their people. Because they took advantage of the people. They took advantage of them. And they were currying favor. With the Romans. And that. Was Levi. Matthew. He. He. Was. Driven. To. Achieve. He was driven to accumulate. He was driven. To be recognized and validated and affirmed. By the ruling powers of the day. By the esprit de corps. I I, I think that that. One of the greatest stumbling blocks of someone who is far from God coming back into the church and getting into a pattern of worship and spiritual growth, I think one of the greatest stumbling blocks is that the world has all kinds of ways to affirm us just where we are. And we say we want people to come as they are. But when you encounter the living God, don't expect to be left that way. See, we say come as you are. And a lot of times I think the great stumbling block to people is they come in, and, and just as, as I did, you know, to draw a circle around one part of your life and say, all right, Lord, I, I'm coming to follow you except for this part right here. That's a part that I just want to be affirmed for. That's a part of me that... Uh, that, that either, either I'm going to avoid this, whatever it is, because it's too painful or too ugly, I'm going to avoid it, or I'm going to say, here it is in your face. I've been affirmed over there. I've been affirmed over here for this thing. You people, you need to affirm me for this thing. It's either avoidance or it's in your face. That's what we're dealing with today. Affirmation over transformation. But Matthew, he was Levi. Levi, the Levites, the heart of Israel, the the, the place where where the works covenant, the I will earn my way into God's favor, that whole covenant is represented by the Levitical code of the Old Testament. Levi becomes Matthew. Matthew means gift gift of God you see Matthew then immediately you see it switches scenes he's in the tax booth and then Jesus is with him reclining in his home with his disciples and a lot of other people with whom Matthew had associated he was now an open book he died to his past He had received grace, and now Matthew was in a place where he could begin to hand over a legacy. People could see he was different. People understood he was open. People recognized that he even was glad to be called by a different name. I I used to ride with a group of people named the Bubbas, all right, that's, yeah. The Bubbas, oh my gosh. I used to ride these little skinny tired bikes with these guys called the Bubbas. And and the guy who was the head of this this pack would always give people nicknames. Everybody would get a nickname. So you'd you'd call people by their nicknames. And mine wasn't very, I was very disappointed. They just called me Rev, thank you very much. (laughs) It wasn't like Rev, you know. It's just Rev. But when Jesus gives somebody a nickname, Simon, you are now to be called Peter, the rock. And on this rock, on this foundation, I'll build my church. Here is a man whose life was changed. Jesus spoke forgiveness and grace into his life in such a way that he was even called gift of God. It's a legacy that Matthew began to hand over as he went. It's a legacy that Matthew took all the way to Ethiopia at the end of his life. He left the tax booth to follow Jesus. He didn't wait to accumulate. He left the validation and the affirmation of the world, and he said, Jesus... I'm following you. And it was enough. No part of his life, no circle, no rock was left unturned. You see, changed people change people. That's what I want you to see over the course of these weeks. Changed people change people. That's the legacy that Matthew left as he went. So he died to his past. His past no longer drove him. He wasn't looking for validation and affirmation from from the world. He was a changed man. He died to his past. He also died to his will. That's That's the second thing you and I need to die to, to live more. If you want to die to live more, you have to die to your past, and you have to die to your will. You see, the Pharisees were upset by his behavior. Jesus recognized that it was worse than that. (laughs) The Pharisees were upset that this was a man who was betraying his people. This was a man who couldn't be trusted. This was a man who was a tax collector, a sinner. And Jesus was saying, that's the outward signs of inward corruption." That's outward signs of a condition of the heart that needs to be changed. His will, his will needed to die. Now, it's a little like this. I don't know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a horseman. I, I know enough about horses to be dangerous, especially when I'm on the back of one. But, uh, but horses, when, when, when you find a wild horse like a Mustang in the west, they need to be broken in a sense. They need to be broken. Let me, uh, let me describe to you, read to you a, a few things that that somebody who does know what he's talking about says about breaking a horse. Spend time bonding with your horse or pony. Don't rush into breaking it. You'll need time to build up mutual trust. Learn your horse's moods. Learn their normal behavior and pick up when something is wrong. Introduce the bit slowly. Don't expect to put it in your horse's mouth and leave it there for hours. Try a few minutes at a time over several weeks and get the bit suitable for a young horse. Introduce the saddle without girth, stirrups or leathers to begin to begin with and remove again after just a few minutes. Before you even think of putting someone uh, on your horse 's back, get the horse used to wearing the saddle and bridle on the lunge or in hand. You see the picture of this it 's a picture of strength of wildness I think of um, of john eldridge 's book to men wild at heart you need a you 've got a beauty to rescue you 've got an adventure to lead and you have a battle to fight. You're you're wild at heart, men. You're wild at heart. It's not a matter of taming that wildness, though. It's not a matter of destroying that wildness. It's a matter of directing that wildness so that you are meek. And meekness doesn't mean weakened. It means controlled strength. And so to have a will that is, that dies is to have a will that yields to the will of God, not as some code. Now, when people think of, okay, I I need to yield my will and and I need need to follow the will of God, a lot of people think it's some sort of code that they have to figure out. Like God's will is this complex, strange, you know, cryptic thing that I've got to figure out. It's, It's about the relationship. The way your will relates to the will of God is about relationship, and it affects every area of your life. That's why you have to die to your will to live more. It's not a matter, again, of of finding some particulars of, do you wear the, the red shirt or the blue shirt? Do I go left or do I go right? And these things are a matter of prayer, and I, I don't discount them as just merely trivial, But but don't reduce... God's will down to some sense of of a code to break. It's, It's a relationship to build through a yielded will. If you want to leave a legacy, you have to do it as you go. What will people see of you as you go? When you walk around... With a will that's yielded to God. When they see controlled strength, directed will, your life speaks. Your life points beyond you. Your life says something about God in your everyday moments. Not a matter of trying to figure out just the right words to say or, or the perfect form of, of evangelism or even some of the heroic mission that we saw last week. What are you saying day to day as you go? Because you've died to your past and the grace of God comes out in your life. Because you've died to your will and the will of God comes out in your life. There's a little Old Testament reference in this that's significant. It's Hosea 6.6. 6. Jesus says, I require, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy, not sacrifice. What Jesus is speaking to, what he's speaking to the Pharisees is not a, a, a bit in the mouth to control your behavior. It is a will, the will of God to deal with the condition of your heart and soul. A will that's yielded to the will of God leaves a legacy as you go. It's dealt with a condition. It's not like the moralists, uh, like the Pharisees just constantly Judging and, and trying to tweak somebody's behavior, or, or, or trying to say, I know where this person is because they're doing this thing, or I, 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 this person should be ashamed of their past or ashamed of the. You know, it's, it's, it's to recognize that when the condition gets dealt with, when the will begins to yield, all that other stuff is going to take care of itself. It's going to come out, and you're going to leave a legacy as you go.